Father's Day 2021. Happy Father's Day to all the awesome dads out there. Can we give it up for the awesome dads in here? I'm excited to, to preach on Father's Day because I know that right after this, more than likely, there will be steak involved. No, I'm surrounded by amazing people and all kinds of awesome and amazing dads. And, and, uh, and, and I'm just, you know, we're living in a time where the, the role of father and, and one, the one who stayed and the one who, who, who worked it out and the one who, who is, who is the, the spiritual involvement in their family, the spiritual leader of their family, the, the one who coaches the teams and the ones who are there, or the one who works in the factory 12 hours a day to provide for their children. They're all amazing. And we're in a time right now where it seems like that role in our society seems to be less and less important, but I will say that it's more important now than ever. Amen. So fathers, thank you for what you're doing and we appreciate you today. Dad, you make a big difference, and you're doing a better job than you think you are. Now, we say that on Mother's Day, but I don't remember saying many times to our fathers, Dad, you're doing better than you think you are. The way Mother's Day and Father's Day often works in church is on Mother's Day, we're like, honey, you're, you're, you're doing great, you're more than enough, and, and you're doing awesome, and we believe that, right? And then on Father's Day, we bring them in here, and we're like, what's wrong with you? Get your stuff together, man. Your kids need you. But dad, you're doing better than you think you are. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, uh, and, I, and no matter how you feel like you're doing, maybe you have had dad fail after dad fail. Listen, I've had dad fail after dad fail. I get it. I get it. I was just telling, uh, we were just talking to somebody at a graduation party yesterday. We were talking about uh, trampolines. Oh, no, was it, it was at the collapse. It was at Logan's 18th birthday party. And uh, we were talking about a trampoline. And I, I remember I was telling Becky, I said, yeah, uh, we had a trampoline. I set it up on Sunday morning. And by Sunday evening, Gavin was in the emergency room and it was all my fault. She's like, how's that possible? I'm like, yeah, you ever heard of popcorn? And she's like, yeah, and I'm like, okay, well, you think about, think about this, you think about my size, and then at the time, Gavin's size, and at some point in time, it stops being fun to, for the kid, and more becomes a sport for the dad to see how high you can get this kid up, right? And so little G2 comes down on his arm and, like, pops his elbow, and, he, like, he can't move his elbow, he can't move his arm, and, and Gavin has a ridiculous pain tolerance, Right? And he is screaming. I'm, I'm like, wow, okay, this is awesome. I'm the dad of the year, obviously. And uh, we get him to the ER, and, and, uh, you know, and they're like, how'd you do this? And I'm like, as always, it always ends with, I can't think of one mom fail that Megan has had where the kids end up hurt. It's always me. It's always me. And so the doctor looked at Gavin. He's like, buddy, can you touch your nose? And Gavin goes, yeah, of course. <laughs> that doctor who was a complete and total jerk, he, he actually, he had no, per, he had the personality of a wet mop, but he actually laughed at that. I was like, wow, Gavin, you just got this doctor to laugh. That is impressive. Doctor popped it back in. It was a nursemaid's elbow. How many of you guys knew there was a thing called nursemaid's elbow? If you've experienced it, you know it. And, uh, and so, man, it just seems like it always happens to me. I can tell you story after story how me and my kids Playing around, me trying to be a good father ends in bloodshed every single time. And I can't do it. I just, it just is what it is now. 
In fact, when my kids want to wrestle with me, I'm like, you sure you want to ride this train? Because I'm inadvertently going to hurt something of yours. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, if you think you're crushing it as a dad, if you think you're blowing it as a dad, you're doing better than you think you are. But today I am going to challenge you. Men, can I challenge you? Okay, did you bring your steel-toed shoes today? They're like, "Uh uh-oh. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two different dads in the Bible. And we're going to kind of parallel them. And here's the crazy thing. I had been praying and on my face and asking God, what is it that you want me to preach about on Father's Day? Pastor Kate was in my ear every single day. We've got to order your gift. What do you want to give them? I'm like, I don't know. God is strangely silent at the moment. And I'd been studying in Exodus and, um, and, and, and studying about Pharaoh. And I'm like, man, I, I feel like there's something there. And, and, then, and then Abraham has been on my heart, the, the story of Abraham, for well over a year now. You know, there's just things that just never leave. You're just constantly pondering. And so the other night, Megan and I fell asleep out in the living room, and we woke up at 1.30 in the morning and tried to, you know, straighten our bodies out and get to the, back to the bedroom. That's always fun, trying to, once you hit 40, the check engine light comes on, y'all. It just is. And, uh, and so we get back there, Megan falls right back asleep, and God speaks to me at 1.30 in the morning. And I'm like, we're doing this now, okay? We're doing this now. All right, no, thanks, God. We're doing this now. By the end of that moment, I had this entire message and exactly what gift I was going to hand out to our dads. And so uh, if you get upset at what I say today, blame him and the fact that he talked to me at 1.30 in the morning, Okay. So we're going to study two different dads. We're going to study Abraham, and we're going to study Pharaoh. And they seem completely unconnected, and they seem like they really don't matter to you. But when you look closer, it will. Are you ready? All right, here we go. So we're going to parallel these, and we're going to apply it to our life. Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis chapter 22. Listen, I know that you have your app, and apps are awesome. And uh, you can even get to the Bible in our Fusion app but you can't replace this, okay? So here we go. There's a moment where Abraham has his faith tested in in Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read the story, verses 1 through 10. So here we go. Now it came to pass after these things, and after these things was when God gave Abraham Isaac his son, okay? After these things that God tested Abraham, He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I shall tell you. Let's stop right there. We know God, right? Does this sound like something God would have you do? Does that sound like his character? No. So there's more here, right? So listen to this entire message, realizing there's more here than, than meets the eye. Amen? So let's go, let's go back. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. 
So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went up together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, saying, My father, he said, Here I am, son. He said, Look, fire and wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, I will provide, God, God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And when they come to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. Happy Father's Day. I, I know what you're thinking. You're like, PT, it's Father's Day. We're leading with child sacrifice. Look, again, remember... This is not God's character, and we're going to talk about that. So there's more to the story. That's what we're looking at. Amen? When you look at the story, you can see, you can see, and I'll just kind of break it down verse by verse a little bit, and then we're going to go study somebody else for a little bit, and then we're going to tie it all together later, okay? Verse 1, it says, It came to pass after these days that God tested Abraham. Now understand, this wasn't a temptation kind of test, okay? In fact, if you look, if you look at... And in the scriptures, and you look at that word, that word doesn't so much mean like tested or tempt. It really means is to prove the quality of something. So he wanted to prove the quality of Abraham's faith. Now understand, when God tests our faith, he does not do that for his benefit. He does it to show something to ourselves about us. Amen? Do we agree? Amen. And so... He says, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your only son, who you love. It just feels kind of like God's rubbing the salt in the wound there, doesn't it? Take your one and only son. Now, you got to understand, this thing is driving me nuts. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Now, you got to understand, Abraham and his wife have, have been trying for a child for, for years and years and years. They actually, they actually gave up on the idea. And then out of nowhere, God says, okay, now I'm going to give you a child because God is never late, but he sure does forfeit a lot of opportunities to be early, right? So, so here's what happens. He says to him, I want you to take your son, your one and only son whom you love. Wow, it really feels like God is kind of needling him here. You know what I'm saying? This is your son, the only son you have. He's the apple of your eye. Here's what I want you to do. This was, this was really bad for Abraham because Isaac represented God's promise to him. Did you hear that? And so what he's saying is, I want you to go and I want you to remove the promise that I've given you and I want you to remove it from your life. Do you see how this is a hard moment for him? But here's what blows my mind. In verse 3, we see that he responds in instant obedience, wholehearted obedience. I'd have a question or two. Anybody other than me? Maybe I just don't have the faith of Abraham. I'd be like, hold up. Is there another option? I mean, can we talk about this? What, this isn't something you would ask me to do. In fact, in, fact, in, in, in Judaism, this is, this is an abhorrent sin, but in pagan worship, this is the norm. So he's saying, he would, I would be like, hey, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. You're asking me to live like a pagan right now rather than why? What's going on? Abraham's not like that. 
Abraham's like, I'm just going to instantly, wholeheartedly, without question, obey God, even if it feels like I probably shouldn't at the moment. That's crazy, right? It's crazy faith. I'm not there yet. They take a three-day journey, three days later. Can you imagine the agony? Don't you hate, like, have you ever had, like, a, a meeting that you knew you were going to have? Or a confrontation that you knew you had to have. Maybe, maybe you're a boss and you had to have a confrontation with your employee and you're sick to your stomach over it for like for as long as it took. Could you imagine three days, waiting three days for this as, I, as Abraham? I'm just kind of trying to paint the picture. What about Abraham's wife? Miss Lori, you're an amazing mom. Married to an amazing father, right? And if he said that he was going to take one of your special little ones, and I would probably say Jonathan's a specialist right now. I'm just kidding. I love Jonathan. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I can't say Jordan because Diana, I still fear her a little bit. And he says he was going to do what, what Abraham's going to do to Isaac. Would you have something to say about that? Yeah. Could you imagine? What's his wife saying? Listen, you don't get out of the doghouse here. And so can you imagine he's 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 riding a donkey a mile an hour. <laughs> right. That, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a mistake. Think about it. He's riding a donkey. Wow, my Shrek is horrible. I look like him, but I can't sound like him at all. It always comes out Hispanic, I, no matter what I do. <sighs> Can you imagine the agony of the slowest ride thinking about what he's about to do and trying to figure out, God, what is it you're up to? But yet you still trust God and know that you have to do what he's asked you to do, but this just doesn't feel like something that should be happening. This is where Abraham is. Verses, verses uh, 5 through 8, he arrives to his destination. He's still walking in obedience. He doesn't quite understand. And he, 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 it blows me away what his son says to him. He says, his, says, his son says to him, uh, my father, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Even, even Isaac sees some issues here. What I see in this moment is a child who's grown up with a father who does it right. And when he sees his father isn't doing it right, he's got questions. My children are the same way. I've been called out by my kids. It's a good thing when your kids spot and they say something, Dad, this doesn't add up in the way that you're behaving. That's a good thing, parents, because that means you've raised them right and you've modeled it. That's how it should be. Amen? So he sees this, and he's like, and kids are like, I can't wait to call out my dad. I saw the Beachy Boys like, oh, taking notes. I didn't mean it. Sorry, Matt. Good luck. So they arrive at the destination. And when Isaac asked him that, here's, here's his reply. He said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Here's the thing. Abraham, he knew God's character. And sometimes, knowing God's character is all you have to go on. Amen? You're like, I'm in this situation I don't know how it's going to get any better. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this. I know my God's character, and he is an honorable God who does what he says he will do. And so I know that I can trust him, 
even when it doesn't feel like it. He knew God's character. And so he's doing this, and he's, carrying, he's taking his son up this hill, up this mountain, and his son's asking what's going on, and he's basically saying this, I know God's character. It's going to be okay. He knew that he could trust God because God made a promise. And when God makes a promise, what does God do? He keeps a promise. Amen? Amen. Verse 9 and 10 It really does look again like God is running late. And so you look at verse 10. It says, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. So can you imagine this moment? Takes his knife in his hand, stretches out his hand to slay his son. This makes no sense. God's got to be up to something, right? God says to Abraham, here's what I want you to do. And he responds with instant and wholehearted obedience. He's one of those guys who will obey God at all costs. I heard a story about a dog that a, that a guy who, he was a, he was a lumberjack and he was in the woods. And he had this dog and this dog was always perfect and obedient. And he said to his dog, he had, he had, he had, he had got his lunch out and he set it down and he realized he had forgotten something over at the work site. And so he said to his dog, he's like, stay here and guard my lunch and don't let anybody get it. While he was gone, there was a fire in the woods and his dog stayed in the fire and he lost his dog. And when he was talking to somebody, he came back to him. He goes, I always knew I always had to be so careful what I told him to do because I knew he would obey me to the word. That's the kind of obedience God calls us to. That's the kind of obedience that Abraham walks in. So you got Abraham. There we go. Now let's talk about Pharaoh. You're like, this is very choppy. It'll all come together at the end, I promise. So we're going to talk about Pharaoh. There's a moment in Scripture where the Egyptians have the Israelites in harsh slavery. Right? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys have ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? Anybody ever seen it? Okay. Seriously, how many? Okay. My mom and dad made me watch that at least once a year. Charlton Heston, man. Come on, somebody. And so we've talked about how, how it's a pattern with the children of Israel. It starts out great, and then they don't have to trust in God. They don't have to call on God. And so then they fall into sin. And because of sin, God warns them. Then they fall into, then they fall into disobedience and sin. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. You better figure it out. But then they don't listen. So they end up in slavery again. And then while they're in slavery, they're crying out to God. He hears their cry. He releases them. And life is good. And it just seems to happen like this, right? So this is a moment where they're in slavery again. And they have been crying out, and God hears it. And he goes to Moses, and how's he do it? Through a burning bush. And he says to him, I want you to go to the Pharaoh, and I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. Right? How many of you guys are familiar with this? Okay. So here is the conversation when Moses gets to Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. They said 
They said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to their labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So here's the story. Long story short, he goes and he says, let my people go. This is what God says. He says, absolutely not. I don't care about your God. Do you think I know who he is? Do you think I worry about what God says? I'm not the least bit worried about it. What I am worried about is these people have work to do and you're keeping them from it. He gets so mad that he says, now I'm going to make it even harder on them. I'm going to remove all the straw, which is a key ingredient to making brick. He says, I'm going to remove all the straw. So now now it's going to be even harder. And so God used Moses and Aaron to try and tell him to do something. And how does he respond? An instant and, and, and unrepentant disobedience. Do you hear that? It's important. <clears throat> then God gets his attention with ten plagues. You know what the ten plagues are? I'll list them off for you. First one, turns water to blood. Second one, fills the land with frogs. And not, we're not talking about like a frog here and a frog there. They're everywhere. They're all up in your business, right? Frogs everywhere. Anybody afraid of frogs? I had, I had a friend who at my old church I worked with, her name was Libby. She, she had a weird fear of frogs. And uh, let's just say that I, every chance I got, I took advantage of that fear. I remember one time I, I found a picture of her in like a pageant dress, and I made, I put her holding a big giant frog's hand on Photoshop, and I put the princess and the frog, and then I made like a hundred copies and put them everywhere. She was finding them for years. Frogs, lice, that doesn't sound like fun. Flies everywhere. Okay, you know how you hate one fly buzzing around you? Imagine just everywhere, right? Livestock disease. Now they're affecting the steak and the brisket. We got a problem. Boils. We're not talking about a shrimp boil. We're talking about boils on your skin. Hail mingled with fire. Locusts. I mean, you've seen these cicadas, right? Right? I mean, so we're kind of... It kind of feels, yeah, not fun. Darkness on the land. And then finally, the death of the firstborn. So he has to give all these plagues to to Egypt. And the thing is, is it affects the people of Egypt, but it doesn't affect the people of Israel. I don't know about you, but if I'm Pharaoh, I think I'm getting the point after every piece of water turns into blood. I think I'm good there. Anybody other than me? Like, I feel like I would get it after that. I really do. I feel like I wouldn't need like seven billion frogs in my living room to be like, I think we have a problem. You know what I'm saying? But it's 10 of them. Water into blood. That should be enough. But it's not. Frogs, lice, flies, livestock disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And yet every turn his heart responds in disobedience. That's crazy. And it's not affecting the people of Israel. It's affecting his people. 
Finally, after plague nine, Moses comes back in the middle of the darkness, and here's what, here's what Pharaoh says to him. Now get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall surely die. So his heart is hardened now. It was God hardening his heart because it was time to get those people out of there. But over and over and over again, they would, they would say, hey, Here's the plague. Here's what's going to happen. If you let God's people go, it's not going to happen. And he would say, I'm not going to do it. And then the plague would come, and he would call Moses, and he'd be like, hey, I screwed up. I probably shouldn't have let this happen. And let, 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 I'll go ahead and let your people go. Just make the plague stop. And then the plague stops, and then he goes right back to it again. Boy, doesn't that sound like the average Christian nowadays? Drifting into one thing or another And then when the consequences of drifting into that catch up with you, you're ready to be all in until the consequences are no more, and then you go back to the action. Does that sound familiar? Not here at Fusion Church. I'm talking about other churches, not not you guys, not us. So you have this story. Let's look at the comparison, okay? You have these two stories. You have the story of Abraham. God shows up and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your firstborn son, the apple of your eye, the son who represents my promise that you are going to be the father of many nations. I want you to take him on this three-day journey, deal with your wife on the way, take him up the mountain, and then sacrifice your son. And he, uh, he, he instantly obeys. And then you have Pharaoh, who's holding these people in harsh bondage. And God sends Moses, and he says, I want you to let my people go. And he says, absolutely not. I don't care who you are. I don't care who your God is. It's not going to happen. And then he sends plague after plague after plague. You see the difference? Abraham chose instant and outrageous obedience. That's the title of the message, outrageous obedience. Abraham chose instant and outrageous obedience. Do you hear me? Pharaoh chose repeated and unrepentant disobedience. Do we see that? Abraham chose instant obedience, full obedience, because delayed obedience or half obedience is still disobedience. It's just a little fancier, right? Pharaoh chose repeated and unrepentant disobedience. Abraham knew the character of God, and he knew that he could trust him even if the circumstances indicated otherwise. That's really good. Your amening is horrible today. Think about that. He knew God's character, and because he knew God's character, he knew that he could trust God even when circumstances would indicate that there's not a reason to trust God. Amen? And then you have Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a short-sighted view of God and forgot that God means what he says. Man, I know so many people. Does God really mean what what he says in his word? And they take a casual view of God, and that's dangerous. This is what Pharaoh does. So you have Abraham. He knows God and he knows his character. And he knows that that he can trust him at his word. And so he obediently, blindly does exactly what God calls him to do. And then you have Pharaoh, whose view of God is short-sighted. 
And he basically says, God really doesn't mean what he says. Do you know there are Christians today that say the same thing? I'm going to go and I'm going to do this because does God really mean what he says? I mean, that could be the only excuse for why people do some of the things that they do. Followers of Jesus, why they do what they do is because they don't believe that God means what he says. Am I wrong? So if you're practicing drunkenness and you're walking in that, you forget that God says that's a sin. But I'm going to go ahead and do it because did God really mean that when he said it? Or if you're practicing, I could, man, I could go in the list. I'm not going in the list. There, there's too many lists. There's too much stuff. Stop doing the bad things. Just leave it at that. I'm just saying. Abraham knew the character of God, and because he knew the character of God, he knew that he could trust God and obey God, even when the circumstances indicated otherwise. Pharaoh had a short-sighted view of God, and, and he, it caused him to not take God at his word. Let's look at the result. Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 through 13. Here's the result of this moment. Abraham is on the mountain. He's got the knife in hand, remember? I mean, knife is, is raised above his head. It is about to go down, right? Here's what happens. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! Listen, he even has to yell at him twice because he's so focused on doing what God called him to do. So he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for I now know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him, caught in a thicket by its horns, was a ram. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it instead. He trusts God. He walks in obedience. He does what God tells him to do. Even when circumstances indicate to him he probably shouldn't do it, he still trusts God. And he lands in this moment, and he does exactly what God tells him to do. And because of that, God rescues him. Not only does God rescue him, it now goes from the God of Abraham to the God of Isaac. And now it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are his children. These are his grandchildren. They're the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob's children, all come from this moment because he trusted God and God gave him more than he could ever hope for. You're a, pro- you're, you're a, a product of that moment. Think about that for a second. We're here today worshiping Jesus because of this moment. God said to Abraham years ago, I will make you a father of many nations. God said, I want you to take that promise. I want you to put it on the altar. And he chose to do that. And he chose to instantly obey. And because of that, God blessed him more than he could ever imagine. So now the knife, the symbol of the knife changes. It's no longer in this story a symbol of an act of violence, but rather the symbol of what God will do in your life when you walk in outrageous obedience. Because he chose outrageous obedience, God blessed him beyond measure. Amen?
Let's look at Pharaoh. His disobedience over and over again cost him and his son dearly. The tenth plague is the plague of the death of the firstborn child. This is where the story of Passover comes from, right? I remember thinking when I'd been studying Exodus and thinking about Pharaoh, and I think about this moment, I always remember thinking, if he would have obeyed right away, none of these other things would have happened. If he would have obeyed the first time, blood would never have been made out of water. No frogs, no lice, no flies, no disease to your, to your animals, no boils, none of it. But because he repeatedly disobeyed, here's where it landed. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Remember, this doesn't impact the children of Israel. Only the children of Egypt. Check this. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, remember that, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock, all gone. So you have Pharaoh who gave his son everything he could possibly give him. Think about this for a second. When you're king, there's no shortage of anything that you want to give your child. In fact, his son, his firstborn son dies. Where does he die? On his own personal throne. Did you see that? The firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive. He was on his throne when he died. God went to him over and over and over again. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And he kept saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. And then his son. Think about the life of being the king's son. He's got his own throne. Liam, you got a throne at your house? No, you don't. Nope. Littletons? Y'all got thrones? No, I didn't think so. He's got the best of the best of the best. Think about this for a second. He lives in the castle. He's got the best house. He's probably got the sweetest chariot. I bet his chariot goes faster, at least by a half a mile an hour faster than all the other ones that go really, really slow. Right? He's got the fastest chariots. He's got the best food. He's got the best clothes. He's got everything he could possibly want. If you think about this, Pharaoh looks like a way better father even than Abraham. Abraham's about to go to the mountain and sacrifice his son. Pharaoh gives his son everything he could possibly desire and more. Right? He gives him the best of the best of the best. He's got the best tutors. And one day he's probably even going to become king. Think about that for a second. But because he chose disobedience over and over and over again... It cost him his son, and it cost his son dearly. His son had nothing to do with that. It cost his son dearly. He was the best of the best of the best. He had everything he could possibly want, but his father's disobedience brought harm to him. Are you hearing me? Are you seeing the comparison? You've got Abraham who obeys God, and because he obeys God instantly, 
blindly obeys God, even when, when circumstances indicate that maybe he shouldn't do that, he still does, God blesses him and his children and his children's children. Then you have Pharaoh who could give his child anything he wants, all the material possessions he could possibly need, the best education, the best food, the best home, the best clothes, and yet he walked in disobedience and it cost his son. Here's a question we need to ask. Which father am I? Am I the Pharaoh? Am I the father that can give my kid anything they want? I can give them the house. I can give them the car. I can give them the iPhone. What are, what are we on, like 12 now, I think? I'm still stuck in the single digits, whatever. I can give my child the best phone. I can give my child the best opportunities. I'm getting them to the best sports camp. I'm getting them, I'm getting them the best tutors. I'm getting them everything they could possibly need. Those things aren't bad. But I'm walking in disobedience and direct opposition to God, so it's going to cost them. Am I living like Pharaoh, where I give in to God until the, circum- the consequences are over, and then I go right back to what I was being, and it's going to cost my children in the end? Or am I going to be like Abraham, live a life of outrageous obedience? And though even circumstances may point to the idea that I should not be able to trust God, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to walk in holiness. I'm still going to walk in righteousness. I'm still going to walk in obedience to him. And at the end of the day, my children and their children and their children will be blessed. Which father do you want to be, men? I don't care if you get your kid to the best baseball camp in, in the state, it doesn't matter if you're not walking in the presence of God. Doesn't matter how nice of a car you get them. Doesn't matter how nice of a life you set up for them. If you're not walking in who God's called you to be, it's going to cost them in the end rather than help them in the end. Let's be a bunch of Abraham's men. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's be a bunch of Abraham's men. They live a life of obedience to God, outrageous obedience, that even when the circumstances say that we shouldn't trust God, that we do with everything that we have, and we walk in instant, unrepentant obedience. Look, if you're here and you're able to get your kid the best of the best of the best, awesome. Just don't forget the obedience part. That's the most important thing. That's what I'm talking about. So I have a gift for you dads. Now, look, this gift only goes to 18 and up, all right? I have this exact knife for you, fathers. Yes, I'm giving away a bunch of shanks at church, okay? I'm a different kind of pastor, I guess. Fathers, here's what I want you to do. Here in a second, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a blessing over our dads. And dads... There's a bunch of these knives up here. They're a little double-edged with, with like a, a nylon grip and even comes with like a little carrying sheath and everything, right? I want you to come and grab this. And I want you to make a proclamation at the altar that you're going to live a life like Abraham. You're going to walk in obedience. Even in times where it's not easy to walk in obedience. God's going to bless you. He's going to bless your kids. He's going to bless your kids' kids. 
and the legacy of who you are will pour into the legacy of who they are. Your children will be blessed because you walked according to the scriptures and you lived a life of outrageous obedience. We're not a bunch of pharaohs. We're not a bunch of pharaohs. You may be able to to supply all their needs. Awesome. That's awesome. Keep doing that. But God comes first in everything that you do. And when he calls you to obedience, you walk in it. Because if if you're the dad who can supply every need and walk in obedience, that's a sweet spot right there. So I want you to come and I want you to grab a knife. And whether you take this knife and you use it at work every day, it's actually a decent little knife. You use it at work every day, fine. You use it to cut your steak, probably shouldn't, right? You use it to open boxes, I don't care. You carry it on your hip, I don't care. You put it on your dresser so that it reminds you every day, wake up and every time you see this thing, let it be a reminder, I'm gonna live a life of outrageous obedience. And in so doing, I'm gonna change the impact of my children for generations to come. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you dads and then you can come get your knife. You come to the altar, take a minute, maybe spend a little bit of time in worship and make a proclamation. I'm going to live a life like Abraham, not the Pharaoh. Father God, I thank you for every father in this room. I thank you, Lord. You have called us to lead our families. You've called us to be the spiritual head. You've called us to show others what it is to walk in faithfulness to God. And Lord, at the end of my life, I want you to look at me and I want you to see a man like Abraham, not a man like Pharaoh. I want you to not see a man who was able to do whatever I wanted, but but walked in disobedience to you. I want you to look at me and see a man who trusted you even when circumstances may lead me to think that I can't trust you and I walk in obedience to you, outrageous obedience in everything I do. Lord, let that be said of us. And God, I pray for each and every father in this room that they would walk in that outrageous obedience in Jesus' mighty name. And in so doing, let it change the outcome of our children's lives that there would be a long, rich legacy of men who serve God at all costs, even when culture calls you to run away from him. Help us to walk in you and everything that we do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Crank up the music. Listen, come and get your, come and get your gift. Take it home. Do what you want with it. Let it remind you to live a life of obedience. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, come and talk to me. I want to talk to you about that because God's got a plan for you. Come to the altar, get your gift, and make that proclamation. God bless you, Father.